person. But I wanted just to take this opportunity to be able to still learn with you from Eretz Yisrael. So I, I hope that you'll forgive the virtual shear today. But uh, I'm very eager to start off the week with the Chavra again, an incredible Gemara today. New Parak Yemirat Hashem this week. I, of course, want to take the opportunity to thank Rabbi Richter for giving the shir throughout this entire weekend. I'm bursting with excitement Hashem, to be able to see the Chavra again tomorrow on Tuesday. But again, a little bit, a little bit, last, last, last little bit of Torah from Eretz Yisrael to share with the Chavra. So the Mishnah on the top of Chof says as follows. Remember again, in the last Mishnah, we learned the concept that a person is believed to qualify their nether. So for example, in this case over here, Rashi says over here, what happens. A person says, Ruven, says, this object is cherem onto me. Now, normally, when we've seen this before, when a person says cherem, what they're normally doing is, they're saying, this object is forbidden for ben. I'm not permitted to benefit from this object, or this object is forbidden to me. In this case, the person then qualifies his statement, and he says, Va'amar, no, no, no. When I said cherem, I wasn't talking about cherem like a carbon, but in fact, the cherem I was talking about was a fishnet. A fishing net, Rashi says over here, So apparently a fishing net is also called a cherem. So now Reuven qualifies his thing. When I said this loaf of bread should be cherem to me, I meant it should be like a fishing net. Now what's the impact of saying that a loaf of bread should be like a fishing net? Absolutely nothing. That's not a net there. It's absolutely meaningless and therefore the loaf remains permitted. Good. So the Mishnah goes on. Similarly, let's say again, a person says, this object should be to me like a carbon. Now again, without qualifying that statement, that certainly sounds like a person is saying that I am not permitted to get any benefit, or this object should be prohibited to me like a carbon. But let's say he qualifies it. And he says, no, no, I didn't mean like a carbon carbon, but rather I meant it like a gift to a king. A gift to a king is important, but it's certainly not precluded from benefiting from it. Or, hare atzmi carbon. A person says, I hereby make myself like a carbon. And then what happens? And then he says, no, you know what? I wasn't talking about me. I was talking about the fact that I have a little bone in my house. And this is what I was referring to. If we take a look at Rashi, Rashi says over here again, um, actually, if you take a look, if you take a look in the rush, I'm sorry, look in the rush in the right hand margin, four lines in, Hare Atzmi Karban, Asr Atzmoki Karban Al Chavero. So ultimately, again, it sounds like what, what Ruvain is saying is, I am making myself Asr like a carbon to my friend. Instead, I say, no, 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 I didn't mean my Etzem myself, but rather I referred to a bone that I have in my house. So, or another case, Konim Ishti Nhanisli, or a man says, I am hereby prohibited to derive any benefit from my wife. The Amar, and then he qualifies his statement, and he says, Again, I wasn't talking about the wife who I'm presently married to, but let's say again, assuming that Reuben has an ex-wife, I was referring to my ex-wife. What's Talach on all of these cases? In all of these cases, one does not need she'ila. Now, she'ila means the process of going to a chacha, the process of going to a sage, in order to have the neda revoked or, or annulled. It's unnecessary. Now, again, the idea behind that, the idea behind that is, um, I want to bring it to, oh, okay, we'll come to, we'll come to us in a little bit. The idea behind it is, this is the same thing as the previous Mishnah. 
that a person is believed to qualify the scope of their nether. So even though, again, it appears that I said something that would generate a nether prohibition, halacha l'maysa, I'm believed to go out and qualify it. Vimishalu, but if I come to go ahead and seek revocation or annulment of the vow, onshin also, we punish him, umachmirin alayim, and we are machmir on him, Divrate Rabbi Meir. These are the words of Rabbi Meir. Now, what exactly this means, we'll have to see in the Gemara. Racham v'chom say, posel on Pesach makom acher. We go ahead and we open a Pesach. Now, Pesach, again, we'll get into all of this in coming prakim as well. Pesach means an opening, an opening. An opening, in other words, usually refers to a piece of information of which the vower was not cognizant of at the time of the vow. And we said, had you been cognizant of that, you probably wouldn't have vowed. The idea of the Chum say is, we find a way for him to get out of the nether. And we teach him. In other words, the Chum seemed to say, the Chum seemed to say that, no, this nether requires a Pesach, requires an opening. Now Rashi points out, the simplest example of Pesach is charata. A person says, I regret ever having made this nether. So the Chachamim say, you have to go through the process of creating a Pesach. Why? So that a person should not act flippantly with his nedarim. It shouldn't be kalas rosh. There shouldn't be flippant or, or a, lack, a lack of attentiveness or a lack of, of, of seriousness when it comes to Nadarim. Even though technically speaking, we learned before that a person is believed to qualify their Nadarim. Here, you see the Chachamim coming along and saying, no, we want you to go through a process of harata, of remorse, in order that you not act in a lightheaded fashion or in a, in a careless fashion with Nadarim. Okay, so let's analyze this a little bit more. Says the Gemara, Hogufakasha. The problem is the Mishnah has an inherent contradiction. What's the contradiction? So the Gemara says, Amrit, Einish Alulahan. So remember again, the first part of the Mishnah says that on these particular Nidarim, because a person is believed to qualify his Nadar, therefore no Sha'ilah. One doesn't have to go through any type of process with a sage, with a, with a Chacham, in order to be able to get out of this Nadar. You're believed to qualify, therefore it kind of falls off on its own. Vahadratani, and then it says, Inishalu Onshin also. That if you try to go ahead and engage in the process of revocation or annulment, then what? Then also will punish such a person. And ultimately, again, will be machmir with them. So which one is it? In other words, you said before that you don't have to go through any process of she'ilah, any process of revocation or annulment. And then you say, but if you go through the process of revocation and annulment, we're going to be machmir on you. What's going on? That's fascinating. The truth is, Rabbi Yudha says like this, in reality, any of these nadarim that we mentioned do not require any type of shayla, do not require the petitioning of a sage in any way. In any way. Why? Again, on a basic level, because so we learned before that a person is believed to qualify the scope of their nadar. But says the Gemara, qualify this. But when is that so? When is that so? Betam tchachem. It's true with a sage. But if an Amaretz, an ignorant person, made one of these nedarim, and now he's coming to the Chacham to try to get out of the nedar, so what's the Onshin also We punish him and we're machmir. Now, what's the distinction here between the Tamut Chacham and an Amaretz? If you take a look at Rashi again, Rashi says, We assume that in general, Tamidi Chachamim are careful with their nedarim. 
They're careful. So therefore, if a Talmud Chacham happens to make a nedr like this and then qualifies it, we're not going to penalize him because we look at this as a, you know, as a one-off event. He, he was careless on a one-time event, but it does not, it does not represent the general mindset of care, carelessness by nedarim. However, Rashi says about Amaretz, but here's the problem with Amaretz. If we let the Amaretz get away with this, and there's no repercussion, and he doesn't have to go through any process. We're incredibly concerned that he's going to go ahead and repeat this same type of behavior. So therefore, again, we do two things. Onshin also, we punish him. Umachmirin alav, and we're machmir on him. So let's, let's qualify those terms. Bishlama machmirin. So what does it mean that we're machmir? It means like this, actually quite interesting. If what, what does it mean that we are machmir on him? So to be machmir ultimately means that we don't just allow him to get out of the nether with harata, with remorse. Instead, he's going, to have to, he's going to have to utilize some other mechanism of revocation or annulment. Again, we haven't learned these processes yet, so we'll get into this in the coming weeks. But if you take a look, if you take a look, by the way, just for a moment at the rush, in the right-hand column, right, but right where the lines of Rashi get wide, the Rush the Rush writes, mm-hmm. So the Rush is as I'm sorry, just go back for just a moment. The Rush adds in one more thing. The reason also why we are machmir with the Amaretz is because according to the Rush, the see Rashi says the reason we're machmir with the Amaretz is because we're afraid that if we just let him get off with nothing, then he's going to be flippant about Nidharma in the future as well. The Rush says, no, we're actually concerned that he's making up this interpretation. Maybe he really meant the nedr that he made. Now he realized he got himself into a little bit of a, of a nedr pickle. See, he wants out. So he's making up some new, you know, you know, far-fetched idea. But maybe that wasn't really his kavan at the time of the nether. Either way, we're going to be machmir on him. So what does it mean that we're machmir? So machmir in, so machmir in the Gemara says means that he has to employ, a, charata remorse is not enough. He needs some other mechanism. Ela onshin hechidami, but rather what's the case of onshin? How exactly do you punish him? So this is incredible. The Gemara says, the listen to this. If somebody took a nether to become a nazir, and then he violated the he violated his neder nazirus. He violated his Nazarite vow. So this is actually very interesting. So we will go ahead. So we will go ahead and help him get out of this neder. Now, Rashi points out over here something very interesting. Rashi understands the case over here is um uh, he thinks that for some reason he's not really bound by this nether, so therefore he acted in a permissive way. He was drinking wine, and now he comes to the basement, to the Chacham, to go ahead and get out of the nether. So Rabbi Huda says, listen, we'll help you get out of it, but first you have to go ahead and observe the nether Nazirus in an appropriate way, corresponding to all of the days in which you acted in a lax fashion. So just to illustrate this as a just a moment. Let's say Ruvain takes upon himself a Nedr Nazir. How many Nazir? Says, I'm a, I'm a Nazir. Okay? He does, it on, he does it on the first of Kislev, just for illustration purposes. First of Kislev. Then what happens? He realizes, nah, no, I didn't really mean it. So what does he do? He's drinking wine. On the 10th of Kislev, he shows up in front of the base and he says, listen, I made this nether. I, I, don't, I don't think it's binding, but I need you to help me get out of it. So Basin will say, no problem. But first you have to make up the 10 days 
in which you acted laxly. The, the idea being, the idea being that we want people to treat Nedarim with a seriousness. So if you took a nether, okay, there may be grounds to annul it, there may be grounds to revoke it, but before we even go ahead and get into that, the first order of business is you have to observe in accordance with the laws of Nazirus, corresponding to the number of days which you relax with the laws of Nazirus. What this does is, it just safeguards the sanctity, severity, and seriousness of Nadarim. That's the Chumrah. That's what it means, excuse me. That's what it means when it says Onshin also. We punish him. When is that so? This is only talking about with a small Naziros. Not small, a short Naziros. For example, again, we say a Stam Naziros, the standard duration for an unqualified Naziros, is 30 days. So if you look at Rashi for just a moment again, Rashi says, almost right across. Talking about a person who accepted upon himself a Nazarite vow for 30 days. So therefore again, now he shows up to Bezdin 10 days in. He's been drinking wine that entire time. Bezdin says, we will help you. But first thing you need to do is observe 10 days of proper Naziris corresponding to the 10 days that you relax with your Naziris. So the Gemara just qualifies this. This is only so if he had a short Naziris. But if he took upon himself something longer, for example, let's say he said, I'm going to be in Nazir for five years. And he was lax with the Nether for one year. So ultimately, under those circumstances, under those circumstances, we only ask him or we only make him make up 30 days of the Neder Naziros. Okay. So I'm going to So therefore, again, I'm going to say, So halacha so halacha so what Dimar is saying is like this. Really, there's two cases happening here in the Mishnah. There's the case of a Tamut Chacham. Tamut Chacham makes one of these aforementioned Nedarim. Tamut Chacham then comes back and qualifies the Neder. The Tamut Chacham is believed. He's believed to qualify his nether. And Am Ha'aretz is not believed. Is not believed. Either, two, two interpretations. Either he is believed, but we penalize him, or he's not really believed, and we penalize him. Now the Gemara says, we're machmir on him, and ultimately, again, we're going to punish him. So now we understand the Chumrah. The Chumrah is that Halacha Lamaisa, again, simple remorse is not enough to get him out of the nether. That's number one. And number two, he is going to have to observe the nether in a proper way, corresponding to the amount of days that he was lax with the nether. Incredible. So the Gemara says, I'm Rabbi Yosef. Rabbi Yosef says, Hold on, Rabbanan. Now that we see that we're not going to help him get out of the nether until he observes at least the corresponding amount of the nether properly. Therefore, Beidina Demizkaki Lo Avid Shapir, a Beisdin who gets involved with this guy, right, and doesn't make him observe the most basic corresponding unit of appropriate unit of the Neder, is not doing something correct. Amr Yaakov, will excommunicate such a Beisdin. Therefore, Halachalamaisa, what comes out is like this. One more time. If it's a Tamut Chacham who makes one of these aforementioned Nedarim in the, in the Mishnah, he makes the Neder, then he provides the explanation, he's believed. If it's an Amaretz, He's not believed. And we do two things. We're machmir on him and we punish him. Machmir on him means that halacha lamaisa, again, charata is not enough. Charata is not enough. Remorse is not enough. There needs to be another mechanism of annulment or revocation. And number two, machmir, in that whatever amount of time he was lax with the neder, he has to observe a corresponding amount of time of appropriate adherence to the neder. After that happens, then we'll help him with revocation or annulment. Again, like I said, we haven't seen 
these processes yet, but in Merit Hashem we will. The Gemara goes right. The Chachamim Omrim Poschin Lo Pesach. The Chachamim say we open for him. We, we create an opening for him. Poschin Lo Pesach. Now, according to Rashi, Rashi means this is Charata. Charata. As long as he we ask him, are you remorseful that you made the nether? Do you regret having made the nether? And if he does, ultimately that is enough to go ahead and annul the nether. So the Gemara says something amazing. Tano, the Olam Alti Ragel Benedarim. It's really an incredible statement. The person should be careful in general not to make a habit of making nidarim. Why? Because a person ultimately, again, who makes nidarim, what's going to end up happening? So first of all, if you, end, if, you're, if you make nidarim regularly, chances are you're going to transgress them at some point in time. And when a person gets used to making nidarim and transgressing them, that'll lead a person to take shavuos, to take oaths, and to go ahead and transgress them as well. And that, of course, is even, uh, transgression of an oath is even more severe, more, according to some opinions, than the transgression of it, than, than, than the, not transgression, but than the violation of a nether. Do not be, do not keep regular company with an ama aretz, with an ignorant person. Why? This is incredible. Because at the end of the day, you're going to end up eating tevel. Since an Amaretz often keeps around untithed produce, if you hang around with a Tamut Chachem, excuse me, an Amaretz. Since an Amaretz keeps untithed produce with him, if you hang around the Amaretz too much, you'll end up eating untithed produce. Furthermore, don't hang out with a coin who is an Amaretz. Why not? Ultimately, again, he's going to end up going ahead and feeding you truma. Because again, the same way that the regular Amaretz is lax, right, and with Tebal, he doesn't tie this produce properly. And again, you're friends with him, you're gonna end up eating his food. A coin who's an Amaretz, you hang out with him, at some point in time, he's gonna offer you truma. Maybe he will tell you, maybe he won't tell you. But Lamaisa, again, a non-coin eating truma is very serious. The idea that the Gemara is trying to highlight is what? Be careful with who you surround yourself with. Because who you allow yourself to keep company with, Right? Everyone who, everyone who I allow into my Dalaramis, into my life, has an impact on who and what I am. So the Gemara says, be careful who you're friends with. And along those same lines, the Gemara says, Do not speak regularly with women. Because Shalom can lead to immorality. Now it's actually fascinating for those, for those who are doing the Hachzik program. It's incredible. This is what we actually just learned on Sunday. In in Mesilas Yisharim, this idea that the Ramchal is speaking about again arayos, speaking about immorality, and how one safeguards oneself against immorality. And again, he quotes the same idea of not engaging in excessive chatter with a woman. Again, it's interesting. The lashon is very important. It doesn't say al tasiach or al tasuach Don't talk with the woman. Again, we live in the world. You have to speak with all kinds of people. It's al tarbe. Al tarbe. Tarbe means to increase, to amplify a lot. A lot. One should be careful. You know, it's an interesting thing that sometimes we hear concepts like this and say, ah, that represented a different social norm. Things were so different times of the Gemara. Things were different times of the Gemara. You know, it's not different times of the Gemara. Human nature. People are people. And one of the strongest drives that we possess is, the, is, is a lust for immorality. And it's amazing how sometimes what begins as something so innocuous 
could chas v'shalom lead to something so terrible? It's Chazal's job to create protective barriers around some things in order to safeguard us from transgressing. And since the Gemara says, miut ba'arayos, a large minority of people engage in immoral acts. Therefore, again, now, again, a large minority. It's not everyone, it's not everyone, but again, it's here and it's real and it's a danger and we have to be mindful of it. So again, how do you define a lot of talking with a woman, not a lot of talking with a Again, what, what it just means, a person has to be mindful of interactions with the opposite gender. And again, just to be clear, as much as the Gemara's phrasing this here as a man to a woman, it applies the same thing from a woman to a man. It's just phrased from the masculine to the feminine. But the idea is be careful and be mindful and be vigilant because sometimes even things which begin incredibly innocently and innocuously can lead to something terrible and sinful. So the Gemara goes on. Rabbi Acha, Rabbi Yoshia, Omer, Kalat Sofe Benashim, Sofe Bali Deavera. This is actually an incredible, incredible Gemara. So the Gemara says that whoever looks at women, whoever looks at women, now the Pashos, this is talking about someone who Dafka looks at women, women in a lustful fashion, in a lustful way. Person who looks at a woman, so far will come to sin. Now it's incredible. Once again, the Ramchal also spoke about this. A person could easily say to themselves, I'm just looking. I'm not doing anything. I'm not doing anything. I'm just looking. So the Gemara says, okay, a lot of things just start with just looking. But again, a person has to be mindful that when I allow myself to engage in certain activities, I'm allowing myself to go down a certain path. And sometimes we know this, we all know this from our own lives. Sometimes once you begin going down that path, it is so difficult to keep yourself from going down all the way till the end, into the abyss. So the Gemara goes weiter. First white line. Whoever goes in and looks, now akva literally means the heel. We'll see that it's a euphemism. Whoever looks at the heel of a woman, has children who are unworthy. So, okay, what does this mean looking at the heel? This is talking about even one's own wife. Even one's own wife when she is a nida. Since when a woman is a nida, she's not permitted to go ahead and husband and wife can't have relations. So the concern is that if he looks at her heel, again, we'll see what the heel is, but if he looks at her heel, ultimately he may become aroused, enticed for relations, and chas may come to transgress. On Rabbi Shem Lakish, Akiva Diktani, this heel that we're talking about, actually refers to the makom erva, refers to her nakedness. It's just that the heel is opposite the erva. So looking at her heel, ultimately, again, is a reference to looking at the erva. Now, obviously, the Gemara is talking about even one's own wife. Even one's own wife. The Gemara says, Tanya, So again, we'll, we'll talk about this in just a little bit, but the Gemara here is going to launch into a discussion regarding sexual etiquette. And it's an incredible thing because the beauty of our Torah is that Torah governs and Torah gives us guidelines and gives us direction in every single area of life. So whether it's the boardroom and how to teach us how to conduct business to the bedroom, to how to teach us how to conduct, how to conduct oneself appropriately in the realm of intimacy. So we're gonna come back to the heel in just a moment. The Gemara says, Tanya, the Pasuk says, this is talking about over here by Matan Torah, by Har Sinai. So Hashem says to Moshe, that I, sorry, Moshe says to Klal Yisrael, Al Tiro, do not be afraid, 
Hashem is coming to test you. He's revealing himself. Hashem is right. There's a divine revelation. Why? So that his fear should be on your face. So that you should not come to sin. We'll define this in just a moment. So the Gemara says, What does that mean? What is Yira? What does it mean his fear should be on your face? Zubusha. In this context, it's actually fascinating. Yira doesn't mean fear. Yira means a sense of embarrassment. A person has a sense of embarrassment. Little titechato, such you shouldn't come to sin. This is incredible. Mulamed, Shabusha Mevia Lide Yiraschet. Teaches us something amazing, says the Gemara, that busha, busha, embarrassment, leads one to a fear of sin. Now, what does this mean, a busha? What does this mean, a busha? Busha means a person has a certain sense of embarrassment to sin because they recognize that they're in the presence of God. Right? The Balatanya writes about this in the opening section of Tanya, that the most important thing in life for a Jew, the most important mantra, is Shivisi Hashem Lenegdi Samadai, place Hashem before me at all times. Because when a person lives in the presence of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, he acts differently. And therefore, again, to be clear, truth is, Shulchan also begins with the same idea. So to be clear, even if one has constant and consistent God awareness, it doesn't mean I don't sin. It doesn't mean I don't sin. But at least I'm embarrassed to sin. At least there's a busha. And the Gemara says at least, I don't know how many times, 9 out of 10 times, 8 out of 10 times, 7 out of 10 times, 3 out of 10 times, whatever it is, some amount of times, the busha, the embarrassment of knowing that I'm sinning before God, will prevent me from carrying out a negative action. It may not work all the time, but it definitely works some of the time. We see that it is a a good sign when a person is embarrassed. So the idea is the embarrassment, and this is incredible. The Gemara says that having a sense of embarrassment, having a sense of shame, that a person doesn't just do anything and everything without regard, but there's a, certain, there's a certain modesty that's associated with them. The Gemara says that's a beautiful simon. That shows that a person has a God awareness, that a person has a Shibisi Hashem the Negdi Summit awareness. Achir and the others say, Kal Adam Shem is Baish, any person who is embarrassed, doesn't sin quickly. So, by the way, it does, it's incredible. It doesn't say that someone who gets embarrassed, and we're talking about being embarrassed in front of Hashem. I recognize I live my whole life in front of Hashem. Hashem sees everything I'm going to do. So, therefore, again, if someone who has an embarrassment, and therefore that embarrassment shapes how I act, that's beautiful. Now, the Gemara says it's interesting. It says, he won't sin quickly. See, the Gemara doesn't say if you have embarrassment, embarrassment will protect you from all sin, because sin is part of the human condition. But at least if there's a sense of busha, a sense of embarrassment, that sense of embarrassment at least maybe sometimes prevents sin, but at least it seems that it, 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 it delays. You know, some, it's an interesting idea that sometimes what happens with Avera, and I think we all experience this in different ways, is I have a desire for something, and the desire is so strong, the desire is so intense, that I don't even think I just act. I think I just act. Meanwhile, somehow, if I was able to like count to 10 and just slow everything down, many times I'd be able to resist the temptation. But because everything is happening so quickly, so fast, there's no time. So the Gemara says, a person who has busha, a person who has a sense of embarrassment, doesn't sin quickly. Doesn't say it doesn't sin. It's not going to sin quickly. It, slow, it slows the process down. And, and again, I think Hazal teaching us an incredible idea that maybe when we encounter temptation, Maybe the first step is just to say, pause, pause. 
Let me slow everything down here for just a moment. I'm gonna to count to 10. I'm gonna to count to 10. And maybe just if I pause things a little bit, I'm able to regain my spiritual equilibrium and won't make a terrible decision in, 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 the, in, the, in the heat, in the passion of the moment. So the Gemara says, someone who does not have a sense of embarrassment or shame, that is a sign that his ancestors did not stand on Harsinai. So a person who is brazen, has no shame about anything in life, that's a clear indication that that person's ancestors did not stand at Har Sinai, did not receive the Torah test of Klal Yisrael. So I saw there's a beautiful idea by the Preet Tzaddik, Reb Tzaddik HaKoyin of Lublin. Reb Tzaddik says something amazing. He says, what, what does this mean? He explains something so beautiful. He says that when Kaddish Baruch Hu revealed his, his, his self, his essence to us at Har Sinai, there's a piece of that experience which remained within us. And the way that, that that experience manifests itself is busha. At Har Sinai, we recognize in an unequivocal, clear fashion that we are in the presence of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And there's a little bit of that clarity, a little bit of that shivisi Hashem l'negdi summit, a little bit of that God awareness that stays with me every single moment. And that's that little bit that sometimes stops me from sinning, slows down the process of sinning. So the Gemara says, a person has no busha, that means they weren't at Har Sinai. That, that, that was the takeaway of Har Sinai. I take a little bit of God awareness with me. There's a little bit left in me. I don't have it all the time, but it's a little bit in me. And that, that little bit of God awareness engenders a sense of healthy busha, which prevents me from sinning. There are four things that the Malachi Asharis told me. It's incredible, right? Rabbi Yochanan ben Davai is saying four things that the Malachim, the angels, told me. Number one, why sometimes is a child born crippled? So this is actually interesting. literally means overturning the table. So the way that the Ran and the Rush understand this is Biyashalokidarka. Biyashalokidarka that, again, we're gonna get, like I said, we're going to get into a discussion regarding proper sexual etiquette and, and what, what, what are the proper norms for an intimate relationship. So the Malachi Ashari is told, Rabbi Yochanan ben Davai, that ultimately, again, is not is not appropriate. And because it's not appropriate, therefore, the resulting offspring ultimately are crippled. So the Gemara goes weiter. So the Gemara says, Ultimately, why sometimes is a child born mute? Because literally, again, a husband literally kisses or puts his mouth on his wife's makom erva. The, 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 so, so again, we'll quali- we're going to explain a lot of these concepts. Ultimately, again, why is it? Why is it that sometimes children are born blind? Ultimately, again, because a husband gazes at the erva of his wife. So just before we get into all of this, right, it's important to understand what does this mean that every single time a child is born with an infirmity, one of these things happen. First of all, it's not always like that. So clearly what Chazal are trying to impress upon, upon us here, what's the takeaway from this? Takeaway from this is that even in intimate matters, 
A person, a man, has to be noeg bikdusha b'tara. Person has to approach intimacy with a sense of holiness and a sense of a sense of a sense of holiness. Kedusha a sense a sense of purity, which is so hard for us sometimes to imagine. Especially again, those of us who grew up in greater society, where everything that's everything is sexualized, and everything that is sexualized is always relegated to something illicit or dirty. So sometimes we think about this concept of how could intimacy be kadosh? How could intimacy be tahar? So we'll, we'll, we'll discuss that a little bit. But that's the idea that Chazal is trying to say that even when a man is with his wife and it's a permitted union, of course, and it's a blessed union, and it's a, a man has an obligation, we saw this in Mesechas Ksuvas, nevertheless, it has to take place and if it doesn't take place, if the act of relations doesn't take place that has an impact on the offspring. Now, does it literally mean that these maladies, that these illnesses occur? Maybe yes, maybe no, but it's telling us that how a man conducts himself with his wife has a dramatic impact on the spiritual quality, the physical quality of their children. So the Gemara says, Or minhu, I have a shayla, shalu es ima shalom. This is very interesting. They asked ima shalom. They asked ima shalom. Now who is ima shalom? So if you look in the Masurah Sashasi, right? So over here, divisud Rabbi Lazar. It's the wife of Rabbi Lazar. So they asked, this is fascinating. They asked ima shalom, mipnei ma amud beis, mipnei ma banecha yof yof miyoser. Why are your children very beautiful? Why are your children very beautiful? All right, so she asked, how did you marry such beautiful children? My husband, now it literally means doesn't talk with me in the beginning of the night or the end of the night. Now here talking ultimately is a euphemism for relations. My husband, we don't have relations at the beginning of the night or at the end of the night, right? Rather only at midnight. Now what's the reason for this? This is incredible. If you look at the rush, the Rash says, What's the problem? In the beginning of the night, or the end of the night, which is early morning, people are out and about. So, Ima Shalom said, My husband, we don't have relations at the beginning of the night or the end of the night. Why? Because, let's say he hears someone outside, he hears another woman's voice. Rabbi Lazar apparently was concerned that he may think about another woman during the act of relations. And we will see, the Gemara talks about the idea that thinking about another woman when having relations with one's wife, it defiles the act. It defiles the act. Suddenly, again, it's not a union, it's not an act of, of togetherness, but a beautiful bond between a husband and wife, but suddenly, again, it becomes something totally different. It, it's an inc- we're going to see that Chazal wanted a husband and wife to have a meaningful, fulfilling, and beautiful physical relationship. But Chazal want that relationship, not just something that satisfies an urge or satisfies a want, but that the intimate relationship could be a bridge, could be something that creates such an incredibly profound, beautiful, loving, strong bond between a husband and wife. But once again, only if done in the right way and only done So here again, they asked Michelle, how did you marry such beautiful children? We didn't have relations in the beginning of the end when my husband could hear other women's voices. I guess maybe their house like was right next to the shuk, so the windows would have been open. He could hear other people speaking. He was makbin not to have relations when other people would be out. So chatzos, midnight, no one's out. Furthermore, And what happens? Furthermore, Rebbe Lazar wouldn't fully undress. 
Rather, again, he would just uncover enough of his body in order to go ahead and have the act of relations, and that was it. And when he engaged in the act of relations, he did so as if he was being coerced, as if he was being forced by a shade. See, in other words, he fulfilled an obligation, but tried to abstain from having pleasure from it as much as possible. Now, what, what, I, what I do want to, to mention over here, if you look at the rush, the rush says, Rabbi Lazar did this in order that there should be a sense of yira, a sense of fear, a sense of embarrassment, a sense of, yeah, upon a, oh no, so I just want to point out something fascinating, which is this perhaps is a behavior that is associated with, um, with exceptionally pious people. But this is not a norm, it's not a standard, and in fact, this is frowned upon by Chazal. Chazal actually say, we saw this actually in Masachas Ksuvis, that if a man says to his wife, I'm only going to have relations with you if we're both clothed, right? Obviously, uncovering enough to have relations, we're both clothed, she's allowed to essentially sue for divorce with the Ksuva. In other words, that's not a marriage. Part of intimacy, part of intimacy is husband and wife being together, Bakir of Basar, with closeness of flesh. So, again, I, I'm just mentioning that here because no one should think that the takeaway from this is that that is an ideal, that is an ideal framework for relations. Again, Rabbi Lazar and his wife, they're on, they're on different levels, different levels. So the Gemara says, and I, so Ima Shalom says, I asked my husband, why do, you, why do you behave like this? In other words, no relations at the beginning of the end of the night, right? Ultimately, again, only chatzos. Furthermore, again, you only uncover a little bit. So what are you, what are you, what are you scared of? He said, I'm afraid that if the act of relations goes on too long, again, wrong time of day or goes on too long, I'm going to think about another woman during our active relations, and ultimately our children will be mamzerim. Now, of course, this is not literal. This is not literal. In other words, they wouldn't be mamzerim. But he was saying that the husband thinking about another woman during when, while having relations with his wife, by definition, is something that creates a pegam. It creates a blemish in the act, and therefore, by extension, a blemish in the offspring. But point over here, the Gemara says is that you see they were talking during relations. To which the Gemara During relations, husband and wife could speak if it's matters related ultimately to relations. So it's interesting. The Rush says over here, A husband is dafka supposed to speak to his wife during relations and dafka say words to arouse her and say words ultimately again to compliment her and to make her feel loved and to make her feel secure and ultimately to make her enjoy the experience even more. As opposed to Mili Achranaisa, you don't talk about other stuff. The concern about speaking about other stuff is that it may lead to a conversation about another person, and then the husband may come to think about another woman during the act of relations. Listen to this. So all of this, remember, up until now, these are the four things that, four things? These were the, yeah, four things that Rabbi Yochanan ben Davai heard from the Malachi Asharis. But now listen to this. Another school of thought. The Chachamim said that the halacha does not follow Yochanan ben Davai. How so? When it comes to an intimate relationship, whatever husband and wife want to do with each other, 
they are permitted to do. So remember again, Yochanan ben Darbai has this, has this testimony from the Malachi Asharis saying that a husband should not go ahead and kiss his wife's makom erva, should not gaze at the makom erva, shouldn't engage in bia shaloki darka. There's another school of thought. The other school of thought is that a couple should figure out what gives them pleasure and they should do it. And they should do that. In other words, obviously, Everything always has to be with the consent of the woman. A husband can never do something that his wife doesn't consent to. But Lamais, again, anything that they consent to is going to be permitted. So he gives an interesting mashal. Mashal, lebasar haba mi beis hatabach. This could be compared to a piece of meat that you purchase from the butcher shop. Ratza la'achlo b'melach, ochlo, tzli ochlo, bavusha ochlo, shalok ochlo, v'chindag haba mi beis hatzayid. Okay, so it's an interesting mashal. The same way that when a person purchases a piece of meat or a person purchases a piece of fish, so ultimately, again, though he prepares it in a way that gives him pleasure, so too when it comes to an act of relations, husband and wife could decide between themselves what provides pleasure, and therefore halach and, and halach halamais are permitted to go ahead and do that. So the truth is, Interestingly enough, this is how the Shulchan Aruch Paskins. Now again, so therefore, technically speaking, anything that a husband and wife want to do together is permitted. There are obviously, there are limitations on that. The Shulchan Aruch does write about, again, that, that kissing the Makom Erba, gazing at the Makom Erba, the Shulchan Aruch sees that as a lack of tznius, as a certain lack of modesty, but doesn't call it aser. Biya is technically permitted, but the Hotsas, Zer, the seminal emission, cannot occur in a Biya can only occur in a Biya So again, we paskin essentially like the Chachamim, but there are still certain qualifications associated with it. Omra Meimar, Man Malachi Ashari, so first of all, again, let's go back. So Rabbi Yochanan ben Davai heard all of this from the Malachi Asharis. Tell me, who are these Malachi Asharis? So the Gemara says, Rabbanon, it's the rabbis. Di'i tema Malachi Asharis mamish, because if you think it's Malachim, um, so the Gemara says, Amai Amra Yochanan ain halachim Yochanan ben Davai. Ha'inhu biki bitzuas avlat fei. So ultimately, because if you think, so again, the Gemara is saying, who are the Malachi Asharis? It can't be real Malachim. Because if it was real Malachim, real angels, angels know more about the formation of the fetus than anyone or anything else. And therefore, Allah Allah should follow them. Rather, it must be Malachi Asharis is a reference to the Rabbanim. Yochanan ben Dahabai is quoting other Rabbanim. We call those Rabbanim Malachi Asharis. So ultimately, again, why do we call Rabbanim Malachi Asharis? Now, this is actually very interesting. I'll point out to you something fascinating. Rashi, Machlugis Rashi in the Ran. Rashi says, just like Tamidi Chachamim are wrapped in their tzitzis, wrapped in their talus, apparently Malachim are also wrapped in a talus. The Rush sees it differently. The Rush says, The idea over here is actually quite beautiful that the same way that Malachi Asharis are distinguished, they're distinguished, so too Tamidi Chachamim are distinguished from the rest of the population as well. Incredible. So it's interesting. So just to show you again, you know, that, that first of all, the power of this Gemara, power of this Gemara, maybe it's not so bad I'm giving this virtually, right? So the power of this Gemara is, is, is how the Torah guides everything. It literally guides everything. And there's an etiquette, and there's a mahalach, and there's an approach to everything we do in this world. Even, even the most intimate, private matters between husband and wife, 
ultimately Chazal have something to say about it. The Gemara has something to say about it. So the Gemara tells a story of a woman who asked the Shaila to Rebbe. She said, Amrlo, Rebbe, Arachti lo shulchan v'havcho. She essentially says, Rebbe, my husband wants to engage in Bia Shalokidarka. What's the halacha? Amrlo, Biti, Torah hitir ticha, va'ani ma'aselech. It's mutter. What do you want from me? <laughs> That's what he says to her. It's mutter. Now, the Ram, the Ram points out over here, she was willing to engage in this as well. It, she was asking a whether or not it was permitted. So he says, yeah, the Torah says it's mutter. The Torah says it's mutter. So what would you like from me? Ahid a woman once came before Rav. Amrala Rabbi, arachti lo shulchan v'havcho. So she came before Rav and she said, Rabbi, I was ready to engage in relations. My husband asked for Bia Shaloki I'm willing to engage in that act as well. Is it mutter? Amra Maishna mean Benaisa. Why is it different than the piece of fish? In other words, like we said before, the same way that a person could prepare their food in accordance with their liking, with their taste, so to a matters of intimacy. Husband and wife have a right to do whatever they want as long as it has the consent of both parties. So the incredible. So I just want to point out, you'll ask, what's the point of these stories? To see how like these women were asking these very intimate shilas to these men, to, to these great rabbonim. And again, at least from the Gemara's perspective, from the Rav's perspective, these type of shailas are no different than any other shaila that come up in halacha. Halacha is halacha, and ultimately provides us with the guiding light for anything and everything in life. Truly beautiful. Velosa suru, So now, the Gemara goes back a little bit. So the Torah says, You shall not follow after your heart. What does this mean? Mikan, Amar Rebbe, al adam this is incredible. So the Gemara from here you learn a man shouldn't be drinking from one cup and thinking of another cup. Of course, this is a metaphor that when a man is having relations with his wife, he should not be thinking of another woman. Amravina, so that's the metaphor. When he's drinking of the cup, that's his wife, he shouldn't be thinking of another cup, another woman. Amravina, this is incredible. So this is even true. Let's say Ruvain's married to Rachel and Leah. See, even when he's with Rachel, he shouldn't think about Leah. And when he's with Leah, he shouldn't think. Now, as you would have said, maybe in that case, look, he's married to both of them. It's mutter. It's mutter. No, even if he's married to both of them, when a man is with his wife, that is a bonding experience between the two of them. And the moment that he's thinking of anyone else is there is a moment that there's a pagan, there's a blemish in the act of relations. So the Gemara goes weiter. The Gemara says, so the Gemara quotes the Pasuk from Yechezkel. So, Literally, again, I will single out those of you who rebel and poshe and sin against me. Rabbi Levi, So the Gemara is going to talk about now that there are relations in, in nine different situations which are considered to be an inappropriate act of relations. You'll see why in just a moment. And therefore, again, that has, once again, it's considered to be a negative act, and it also has an impact on the children, on any, potential, any children potentially conceived from the act. For example, the Gemara says, B'nai Anusa. So B'nai Anusa, I'm sorry, I skipped. Uh, B'nai Ima. So what's B'nai, oh, I should say B'nai Ima. This is talking about, look, if you look at the Ran, the Ran says, Lashon Yira Shemato Ima Al Where a man, a man, um, brings an element of fear to the marriage. 
so that his wife submits to him physically out of fear. Such an act of relations is considered to be a rebellion against the Kaddish Baruch Hu. That's not what married intimate life is supposed to be. B'nai Anusa, similarly again B'nai Anusa, Duran points out, Groit fame b'nai ima, b'nai ima lo havi Anusa. Anusa means against her will. So this is even worse. Again, a husband has no right to have relations with his wife against her will. And therefore, Aloha b'nai Anusa, b'nai snua. B'nai snua means a man despises his wife but has relations with her anyway. So once again, these acts, see what's the common denominator so far, that the man engaging in these acts is not, is, not, is not engaging in the act to build relationship, not to build physical or emotional intimacy with his wife, but obviously he's just doing this to satisfy his urge, to satisfy his desires. That's not what marital intimacy is about, and therefore such an act is considered to be despised and, and, is, and is considered to be an act of rebellion against Hashem. B'nai Nidui, this is a man who's in a state of Nidui, a man who's excommunicated, really his wife is not supposed to have relations with him. B'nai Timura. This is interesting. If you look at the Ran, he says, This is where a man is married to more than one woman. He has relations with Rachel, but he thinks that it's Leah. B'nai Mariva, relations that happens ultimately again when a couple is fighting. Incredible. Relations shouldn't occur in a state of, in a state of marital friction, but rather should only occur when there is a state of Shalom. B'nai Shichros, when the husband is drunk. He shouldn't engage in relations. Again, what's the idea? Here, so the Ryan points out, this is incredible, because he's drunk, he's only thinking about himself. He's not thinking about his wife, which is such an incredible idea. The, 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 you see this in the halacha, that the obligation that a man has towards his wife in, in, in physical intimacy is to give her pleasure. All that, that's his job. That's a husband's job. So Lamai said when he's drunk, all he's thinking about is satisfying his own desires. B'nai Grusha Salif, this is a man who's already decided in his heart that he's going to divorce his wife. But he has relations with her anyway. B'nai Erbuvya, so this is actually interesting. This is, this is a woman who's had relations with multiple partners. And therefore, again, it's not clear if there's a child whose child it is. Rashi also points out that it could also be a woman who remarries within three months. We've learned this before, that Allah Chalamaisa, there's a concept of havchana, of waiting three months after the termination of one relationship before engaging in another. So that's B'nai Abuvia. B'nai Chatzufa, it's very interesting. B'nai Chatzufa, the Ran says over here, This man, a woman who, who who, who demands relations of her, of her husband. So that's like a chutzpah. It's considered to be brazen. It's considered to be brazen, a lack of modesty for a woman to just overtly demand relations of her husband. So is that true, the Gemara says, that that's bad for a woman to demand relations of her husband? Any woman, any woman who engages her husband for relations, I'd say any woman, again, is seemingly who takes like the first step, who, 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 who ultimately, the wife, the wife petitions, the, the wife asks the husband for relations, the, pro, excuse me, the product of that union, those children are so righteous, more righteous than any, the, even the most righteous people in the generation of Moshe Rabbeinu. How do we know this? So remember again, it's actually very interesting. So this is by, this is, when Moshe Rabbeinu ultimately was setting up a judicial system. So he said, again, go ahead and create Anashim Chachamim Unavonim. Also, right, the, the additional people to help Moshe Rabbeinu. So Moshe Rabbeinu says, find Chachamim, wise people, Unavonim. Nanavon means, I should say, Chacham means smart, Navon means wise. Uksiv, va'akach es Rashi Shiftechem, velo kas, velo ksiv, Nevonim. So it says, Moshe found Chachamim. 
he didn't find Nevon. Bali Rashi on the Pasik points out, Chacham is a person who understands things. Navon is a person who's able to understand one thing from another thing. He's able to extrapolate knowledge and apply it to different circumstances. So apparently Moshe was looking for Chachamim and Nevonim. He only found Chacham didn't find Nevonim. Yet, Uksiv Yisachar Chamar Goram, Uksiv Umnei Yisachar Yodei Bina Li'itim. Yet interestingly enough, the Gemara understands over here that Yisachar, Yisachar, was had, was a novel, was wise, was wise. Or I should say, right, not just a chacham, but was a novel. Now, what does Yisachar have to do with this? So remember again, remember again, we know the story in, in Chumash Bereshis, where Rachel Imenu had the, 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 I'm sorry, Leah, Reuven had picked for Leah Dudaim flowers. Rachel asked for the Dudaim, and Leah said, Hama'at, it's not enough that you took my husband, now you want the flowers? So Rachel said, fine, you can have Yaakov tonight. You can have Yaakov tonight. So what happens? So when Yaakov's coming back from the field, he's headed towards the tent of, of Rachel. Leah comes out and, he's, and she says, no, you're with me tonight. You're with me tonight. And in the schos of Leah being proactive, ultimately to establish uh, an intimate relationship with her husband. She has a son, Yisachar. Yisachar comes from that night. Yisachar, right, she, she became pregnant that night with Yisachar. And Yisachar was a novon. Not just had chachma, wasn't just smart, but had this wisdom, this, this, this novon. So you see from here that it's a good thing that own petitions the man. To which the Gemara says, no, 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 hahi, dematsia artsuye. So this is very interesting. If you look at the Ran, the Ran says, dematsia artsuye, shemefata oso bedivre ritsui. This is where ultimately, again, she goes ahead and she says to him kind words. So the idea over here in the Gemara says is something absolutely amazing, which is the difference is Leah didn't come out and petition Yaakov directly, right? She didn't go ahead and say, we're having relations tonight. But rather, again, what she said to him is, you're with me tonight. So that, that level, if you look at the Ran again, she said to him kind words, and conciliatory words, Leah tells Yaakov, come to my tent, come to my tent, but she didn't explicitly say, she didn't explicitly say, let's have relations. So that seems to be the distinction over here. The Gemara seems to feel that it's a bit of a chutzpah, a lack of modesty for a woman to say, let's have relations. But Lamais, again, in, in a veiled reference, as Leah said, Yaakov, tonight you'll come to my tent, that not only is permitted, but seems to be praiseworthy. It's interesting. What is it that Chazal is trying to teach us from, from Leah Emenu? And I think, you know, the, 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 maybe the statement ultimately is, or the concept is, if you don't ask, you don't get. You know, sometimes in life, sometimes in life, there are certain things we want, and we just expect that other people should know what we want, and they should give it to us. But the truth is, sometimes people know what I want, but they're still not gonna give it to me. And sometimes people don't know what I want for the simple reason that most of us are not mind readers. So in life, if you want something, you have to ask for it. Well, sometimes you have to, and then you have to go for it yourself, but sometimes you just have to ask. If you don't ask, you don't get this. The truth is a paradigmatic example of this 
is in our relation with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Right? So HaKadosh Baruch Hu knows what I need. He knows what I need even before I ask. But Lamaisa, part of building the relationship is ultimately asking Hashem what you want. If you don't ask, you don't get. Where do we learn that out from? From Leah Imenu. Again, she could have left it to Rachel to tell Yaakov he's supposed to go to Leah. No. Leah comes out. She says to Yaakov, tonight you come to my tent. In that schus of Leah being assertive, in that schus of Leah taking what she wanted, in that schus of Leah asking for what she wanted, not relying on other people to read her mind or to figure out what it is that she needs, in that schus of that assertiveness, ultimately she's giving Yisachar. Yisachar unique in that not only was he a chacham, but he was a navon as well. Shkayach HaRosa, incredible, incredible end of the parak. Hajun Alach. Look forward to seeing everyone in person on Tuesday morning. Have an incredible, incredible and fantastic day. Mazel tov on completing the parak. Shkayach, everyone.